You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. In June 2021, U.S. Marine Corps Captain Andrew Hairston entered his first event as a hand cyclist while still rehabbing at Walter Reed Hospital from an accident that resulted in the amputation of his leg. Later that year, he entered his first marathon. Now, he is training hard to qualify for the 2024 Paralympics in Paris. In addition, he is the founder of Salvage Life, a Movie United member organization based in North Carolina. So let's chat with him. So, Andrew, I'd like to typically start. Um, when I'm talking with a fellow veteran with the question, why, uh, wh- what was your why or why did you enlist into the military? Yeah. Um, honestly, it kind of got thrown at me. Um, to, to be honest, I, so I have a number of, uh, family members who served, including my father before he passed mm-hmm. and, uh, just, uh, I always knew it was an option, but I always told myself I wasn't going to do it. Went yeah. off to college. I was actually interested in uh, in uh, law enforcement. I studied uh, criminal justice in college. Yeah. And uh, um, when I was looking at different uh, agencies to go and work for, um, I found out about Air Force OSI, essentially uh, the um, special agents of the Air Force. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh-huh. Um, Applied for Air Force OC or OTS. Um, they told me I wasn't smart enough for them. <laughs> I, I was just average. So uh, <laughs> then uh, after like looking into it, like I guess once uh, I found out about that, I was kind of kind of roped into the military as an option. Uh-huh. Um, was uh, interested in uh, I think the Navy had talked to me about becoming an NFO. Um, the Marine Corps was finally like, hey, you can fly and be a, a bad uh, grunt that's going out and doing all the high speed, low drag stuff. And I was like, oh, that that's it right there. And then on top of that, of course, um, the OSO, the officer recruiter for the Marine Corps was like, yeah, what's a GPA? You're good. Come on and join us. Uh, forget the Air Force. And uh, yeah, that, that that's how I uh, ended up joining the Marine Corps. And so you had obviously completed your degree then since you were looking at an officer candidate school at, at, at yes. one of the branches. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, the kind of the Marine Corps decision was made for you in that sense, right? Yeah. It's uh, it, honestly, at the time, it just, it, it seemed like the best of all worlds for me where um, uh, initially, like after the, like being told, or not being told, but realizing that my my vision wasn't good enough to really fly and um, just looking more into like because I was still um, that's a short story. But I, I still was like essentially interviewing all the branches to see what could offer me the best path. Um, the Navy, we talked about Intel, the Air Force. I was actually uh, considering enlisting into uh, um, pararescue. I was a uh, fire, a volunteer firefighter at the time in the D.C. area. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, pararescue just reminded me, or at least watching like inside combat rescue and talking to some folks who have been in the community 
um, especially what they were doing out in um, Iraq and Afghanistan at the time. It just really resembled the um, volunteer fire firehouse life. Um, <laughs> but um, at the time, the Air Force was very selective, even though I had a 96 ASVAB, college degree, leadership experience. They were just taking their time with bringing people on. And that's when uh, the Marine Corps found me and um, they hit me with all the the great, uh, uh, the few and the proud and all that good stuff. So, um, but the, the Marine Corps, what I did like about it, just learn a little bit more about the mission of the Marine Corps. We we always see all the, the grunts kicking in doors and what we were doing in the Middle East at the time, but what really, um, I guess, uh, hit me a little bit deeper with the Marine Corps was a lot of the humanitarian and disaster or humanitarian aid and disaster relief type mm-hmm. stuff that uh we do so uh that um when i started seeing like stuff that the mew does and all that stuff it kind of pulled me into that direction a little bit more and then of course i uh got to the basic school realized very quickly i do not want to be a grunt and uh then looked into becoming a communications officer and i i, I loved every moment of it and uh where were some of your your duty stations uh, so, of course, just like any comm marine, we start out in 29 Palms, um, the mm-hmm. great desert out there. Um, I think I spent about nine months in 29 Palms before uh, PCS and over here to Lejeune. Um, okay. And honestly, I spent my entire career here in uh, Camp Lejeune until uh, um, I deployed in 2019 out to SP MAGTAF, uh, Crisis Response Africa. So um, I... Uh, that it was a little uh I was a little butthurt at the time because um originally I was slated to go out to Task Force Southwest, which is the at the time the Afghanistan um augment billets that we would get. Mm-hmm. Um so every Marine during my time we joined because we wanted to go out to the Middle East. And I found out at the last second, hey, you're getting pulled to um go to this other unit. Um worked my butt off at that unit to show them that I could go ahead, turn my comm shop around so I can leave them and deploy and they'll be self-sufficient. And, uh, um, yeah, got that, uh, AFRICOM, uh, deployment, which honestly, I, I love that one more than I think I would have loved the, uh, the Afghanistan deployment. Yeah. yeah it, it was a pretty interesting deployment. And where, where in Africa, I mean, where was the primary uh, location? Uh, well, so we were based out of Spain, um, Maron, Spain, okay. and uh, we had a debt in Spain and in uh, Sigonella, Italy. And then uh, uh, we I, essentially we were the task force that was stood up to uh, um, oversee the conflict going on in Libya, as well as mm-hmm. stuff going on in North and West Africa. So um, a lot of interesting things did come up during our time. Normally, it's a they call it a gentleman's deployment because it's. Um, like a typical nine to five, just with occasional flare ups before us, we got pretty busy, um, during our time. So it led to a few interesting trips down to Africa and, uh, also a couple trips over to, uh, like places like Greece and whatnot. So it, overall, it was a very, uh, fun time. Got to do some cool things with my Marines that I don't think, uh, I would have gotten to do otherwise, honestly. Mm. And uh, yeah, because I had spent three and a half weeks uh, uh, in Nigeria, so I you know just oh, was, okay. was 
really intrigued in yeah. terms of of that Africa assignment. Yeah. And how long were you in the Marine Corps? Uh, so at this point, um, uh, and that, that's kind of where like my uh, story changes. So uh, mm -hmm. at that point, I was about, about uh, I think, five years in, um, four or five years in, had just gotten promoted to captain and uh, got back from that deployment right into COVID. Um, <laughs> and uh, once we finally got done with the lockdowns and everything uh, was when, uh, I, I want to say maybe a few months later when we we found our new house and we're moving to our new house was when my accident happened. So got back from deployment, got hit by a car, and then this whole journey um, began. So um, overall, I spent just shy of uh, eight years in the Marine Corps, um, and it was around that four or five year mark where things changed. Yeah, and I mean, you definitely had a kind of a, a freakish accident, right? That that led to, to uh, a leg amputation. So for those that may not be familiar with your story, I know that you were you were moving and uh, and had pulled off the side of the road and then uh, to I think retrieve a mattress, right? If I remember right, or something. And and then yes, the car, so, the car struck you. Yeah. Um, so it was the night that uh, actually just uh, three days ago was my three year anniversary from that accident. So uh, yeah, we were moving to our new house. Uh, mattress fell out of the bed of the truck. And when I was loading it back up, somebody wasn't uh, paying attention and ended up uh, running into me while I was behind my truck. So they mm -hmm. uh, sent our truck about 100 yards down the road from park um, to the point that when uh, when the police and every, when everybody got on the scene, I was still conscious for all of it. I, I kind of led my own rescue effort in a sense where I was telling like, Hey, you call my wife, you call the police, you grab my phone. Uh, and they're like, where, where's your phone? Uh, it's in the truck. What truck? The truck right there. And they're like, there is no truck here. So, um, it, it was, a a very interesting time. Cause at the time I didn't realize what, like the severity of it. I thought I had hit my funny bone and I was going to get evaluated by the medics and then pop back up and, uh, go on about my night and go spend the night with my wife. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it wasn't until, and in hindsight, I should have known um, at, at one point, the medics, they tourniqueted my leg. I didn't think anything of it. Um, and we were just having casual conversations where like I was telling them I used to be a firefighter. And we, like, we were just like, like joking around talking. Yeah. We got yeah. to the, the back of the ambulance and, uh, they asked me how I was feeling after they gave me the meds. And I was like, uh, I'm pissed off. I just ordered Domino's and now I'm not about to, to eat it tonight. Um, but then it was right after that that I heard um, someone over the radio say left leg amputation. And uh, I guess my reaction in that moment was enough for them to give me ketamine and put me to sleep. So, yeah. So it was, was it a, so was the limb, it was an amputation kind of situation right away, or was there any limb salvage um, conversations? So my left leg, um, and th this is where it's, it gets a little uh, interesting for me, because everything that I've got from this was just bits and pieces from different folks. So right. um, my left leg below the knee was like 
so, like just riddled with compound fractures, everything all over the place. To my understanding, it was like there was no saving it. It was like mm -hmm. it. My wife said that she saw my like when she saw me at the hospital before they life flighted me that she saw my foot underneath the blanket sticking out and um but she we think that it was only there like it was there because they had to put it there like um right. but uh yeah it was below the knee originally and then uh, a few uh, my right leg was um it was damaged but not as bad um a couple compound or a compound fracture and then my knee was um crushed so uh they were able to save my right leg but my uh left leg originally i was below the knee um after some conversations with doctors about just um the skin being kind of i apologize if this is a little um gruesome but with the uh i think uh one small femur fracture above the knee just the um how i guess the situation that the skin was in mm -hmm. uh, we decided to go ahead and cut above the knee and uh, honestly it was the best decision that i did make at the time um they said my knee would have been uh too bad for me to ever walk correctly again with a prosthetic so yeah yeah so it's often uh, a quality of life decision that you're making too yeah. right yeah my wife she was not happy because uh she was tired of me going into surgery and coming back out with a little bit more and more of me missing. But um, thankfully, that was a, the final cut and um, haven't had any complications since. Yeah. And Andrew, before that time, what was kind of your what, what kind of sports were you involved in? Or were you involved in sports like growing up and through your time in the Marines? Yeah. How was sports? What role did sports play before your accident? Yeah. So um, growing up, I played just about every sport, but soccer um so i uh played volleyball tennis basketball in like elementary elementary to uh, middle school started getting into football for uh, high school and then uh i actually ran track in college at a d2 school in uh, dc Bowie state university oh, yeah okay um, so uh my sophomore year i had uh, i was fast enough to qualify for national championships then make the um the final cut to go out there but um uh, that that was honestly the end of my uh true sports career um of course we play like football and basketball stuff like that with yeah. uh my marines for like pt and whatnot but um that was the end of my organized uh sports career okay and then so obviously as as a a new amputee how were you introduced to like adaptive sport so uh, it's funny. Um, everybody who went through uh, Walter Reed, it doesn't matter what year they've been there. Harvey Naranjo up at Walter Reed yeah. is the adaptive sports guy. I love him to death. He's like a brother to me. Uh -huh. um, and uh, I remember when I got up there, um, I think I was still in a wheelchair. Um, hadn't even talked about prosthetics yet. And um, I did my intake with him. He was like, hey, yeah, we're going to use sports to help you uh, to complement your physical therapy and occupational therapy. What sports are you interested in? And uh, at that time, like just sitting in the hospital, looking at other amputees and everything, I've seen like so many folks who were um, who went off to compete at the Paralympics. So my first my first uh, statement to him was, 
whatever sport is going to get me to the Paralympics. Uh, he's like, you know how hard that's going to be? And I was like, it's going to be tough, but I'm also from the Virgin Islands, so it'll be a little bit easier than most folks. <laughs> uh, and that that's when he he just like threw every sport opportunity there was at me. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing I tried was sled hockey. Um, I loved that, but he was worried because of my right leg. Um, at the time, I was still fresh. He was, um, he kind of like pulled me away because I was getting a little too into it, and he was worried about me hurting myself anymore at this point. Um, but then uh, there was a race that came up. It was uh, a four mile race in Central Park, and I remember him saying, uh, "Hey, do you know what a hand cycle is?" I told him. Uh, no. It, and I remember then thinking like, oh, there's one sitting in the PT area. Is that what you're talking about? He's like, yeah, that's a hand cycle. Um, there's a uh, four mile race in Central Park is the hope and possibilities race with uh, Achilles International. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to go to this. And at the time, my wife, um, she's active duty as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but her squadron actually let her um come up to walter reed with me to get acclimated for the first uh several months so um we uh he he told me about the opportunity i was like well i guess at the very least it's a a free trip to to new york for me and my wife we can go and find some food because she's a foodie or something but uh uh yeah i I thought it would be at, at least a good trip um never thought that would actually enjoy cycling by any means never cared for cycling growing up um honestly i probably haven't touched a bicycle since uh my freshman year of college and that was just to get around so um we we did that event and and when was when when was that event it was june of or july of 2021 um and uh we did that event this is like what a little over six months from my accident mm-hmm. and uh i came in third place at the race and that's when like the fire got lit up under me um some of the the guys who beat me they were like seasoned uh cyclists and they were like hey if you stick with this you you got some potential i think you might be able to do something good in this um, still didn't really think much of it, but they invited me to uh, the organization Achilles International, which uh, Janet, the uh, uh, she's now a VP there, but she runs the the Freedom Team, which is the uh, mm-hmm. um, military and veteran arm of the organization. Yeah, um, she's like a a sister to me now, and she invited me to New York City Marathon. Uh, best and worst uh race that i've ever done um it was freezing i don't remember the second half of the race i was just that out of it oh, and wow. i didn't train for 26 miles but i came in eighth place there and uh that's when i decided i was going to to get serious with it so you went from four miles to 26 miles and <laughs> highly do not recommend by any means but um it it was definitely an experience yeah and so was it the that marathon that that you just caught the bug then yeah um it was just uh one being around the freedom team and just like this team of veterans and um just like everybody understands 
to some extent what it is that you're going through, um, especially as an amputee. Um, so it, it's like, and I think that's one thing I've had this conversation with the Wounded Warrior Battalion where like Marines, especially when they get hurt, they're so used to the small unit, um, the small units, the camaraderie that when you get pulled out of the fight and you're told, hey, you're just like your job is just to get paid to recover now. You would think anybody would be like, yes, this is great. I get paid to go work out during the day and then play video games at night. But um, you really do miss that sense of connectedness, that teamwork um, or team oriented um, feel. So being a part of the freedom team, like at that point, uh, even though I didn't really realize what was going to happen with cycling for me, I just wanted to continue to feel a part of a team and be around those guys where we can uh, laugh together and um, have fun and share in this misery of what this thing calls cycling. Um, so I, like they invited him or they gave me one of the invitational spots to the Boston Marathon that following uh, April. And at that point, um, I had received a, a hand cycle donated by an organization. And um, it was my first time on a race in hand cycle. And I or I bettered my time from New York City by almost 30 minutes um, immediately. And that's when all the the other guys, like some of the more seasoned guys were like, hey, it, you have like there's something. <laughs> There, there's something going on with you. And if you stick with this and take this seriously, uh, you you will be a great cyclist. So um, that, that motivation from those guys is what kept me into it because there, there were some tough times, but uh, it, it's been a, it's been a journey. Yeah. And so through the sport of hand cycling, where has it taken you and what have you been able to do so far? Oh man. So, um, and th this is, this is where I said that I, it, it, there have been some rough times. I, uh, I remember my first real cycling race was down in, uh, um, Huntsville, Alabama. It was a paracycling open, just team USA there. I came in eighth out of nine people, um, mm -hmm. behind the winner by a significant margin. And the ninth person wasn't supposed to be in our classification. So really, I should have been um, last place there. And that's where I, I started to um, doubt everything. But um, one of the uh, the athletes, John Masson, he's like uh, like my biggest role model and mentor in this cycling space. He uh, he he was the biggest encouragement, encouraged me to sign up for some other races um, so I ended up running into him at a few other races here in um, in North Carolina and Virginia. We saw some improvement um, to the point that uh, once I started figuring out the marathon circuit for hand cycling and decided for the Virgin Islands, hey, I wanted to go ahead and try out the, the Huntsville Paracycling Open. The next year, they made it a UCI World Cup. So international race. Mm. Over 30 countries represented there. Um, the Virgin Islands, after they saw some of the progress, decided, hey, we'll give you a shot here. Um, I 
did not place well, but the times that I put up were enough that they decided to send me to uh, Santiago, Chile for the uh, Para Pan Am Games, where technically I got my first uh, official UCI win in my classification. Um, That's cool. And then, and then, of course, uh, starting off this year in Australia, where I'm currently ranked number 12 in the world. That's awesome. So I have to, of course, ask, what is your, as we're going into a, a Paralympic year, what is your hopes, dreams, expectations, goals? So we, we have a plan for uh, Paris 2024. So um, unfortunately, just being from, uh, and this also segues into some of the other stuff that we're doing in the Virgin Islands, but um, just being from a smaller delegation, um, the way that the points and the allocations for uh, Paris are designed, the calculation that they use, it's it's almost impossible for a smaller delegation to make it to the Paralympics based on the rank structure. So um, right now, even though I'm performing well, because I'm the only athlete from the Virgin Islands competing in cycling, um, the math just says that even if I were to win the next two World Cups and nobody else were to um, earn any points, if I, I was the only person to move up on the points board, I still wouldn't break that um, threshold to get an allocation. So um, thankfully, they do have some uh, invitational spots. And um, that that's the path that we're looking at is if I continue to put up points the way that I am right now, that they uh, uh, reward that and the fact that I'll be the only athlete competing for the Virgin Islands at the Paralympics um, with uh, an invitational spot. So uh, that that that's the goal is to in, in short terms i'm trying to go to paris this year yeah and just yeah and and asking that question i knew that it's it's a convoluted answer when it comes to trying to figure out that whole yeah. framework <laughs> and structure at an international level and so how many athletes does the virgin islands typically send to the paralympics what's the size of the team that typically would go on a during the summertime obviously uh it's it's one like you typically okay. you typically have one athlete um right now the the virgin islands even though we do have uh, a um i guess an average uh, like compared to the like the different states and whatnot we mm -hmm. do average that's around 10 percent um of the population being persons with disabilities so it's, it's kind of similar to everywhere else but um there's just no opportunities down there so uh like I'm having conversations with uh, both the Olympic and Paralympic committees where um, the Paralympic committee, um, they're they're great at what they do, but they just don't have the funding to be able to branch off into individual sports. So they can get you to a uh, Pan Am Games or to the Paralympics. But when it comes to the actual resources and support necessary to build up to that level mm -hmm. that's where you would rely on the individual sports federation and like in my case for instance the cycling federation has been great they're they're phenomenal they're with me every step along the way um but some of the other federations um they just don't have the funding necessary to develop a wheelchair uh, um track athlete 
um, to go off in athletics or to develop a Bochia player or somebody like that. So um, unfortunately, the Paralympic Committee, if they do have, like, they typically manage to um, grab an athlete who was fortunate enough to make it to the States and be able to train in the States or compete in the States to some degree. Um, and uh, that, that, that's really the biggest issue is just the resources down there. Yeah. And that's not, that's a universal struggle still yet. I mean, yeah. obviously as an individual athlete, even in the U S right. Uh, individual athletes have to often find their own funding and support, particularly for training and competitions exactly. and, and everything else. So, and so obviously uh, you're competing as an individual athlete, where did salvage life come into play? And I, I have to say that, you know, we're, you know, as, as a new member organization of, of Move United, we're, we're excited to have you, but where did that organization come into play? Yeah. So, uh, essentially after I got hurt, everybody asked, well, Hey, are you going to move back down to the Virgin islands? My wife is like, Hey, yeah, I'm ready to live the Island life as soon as I'm done with the Marine Corps also. So, uh, um, I started looking into coming back down back to the Virgin islands. And that's when I realized that the majority of organizations that support me up here in the States, be it, uh, um, Team Semperfy, Achilles International, Challenge Athletes Foundation, they cannot provide the same level of support to me in the Virgin Islands just because like the logistics of it is just way too daunting. Um, it, it's difficult to get equipment to the Virgin Islands. It's difficult to, it's difficult to get uh, equipment anywhere, let alone 1,500 miles away in the middle of the, the Caribbean Sea. So um after doing some digging into it, I realized, well, somebody needs to bridge the gap. Um, and at the time, because I my right leg is a limb salvage, um, and I used to lift weights pretty regularly um, during my time in the Marine Corps, I used to joke around about uh, the savage life term and turned it into salvage life. And finally, I was like, well, I guess that's the name of the of the organization now so that that's where salvage life came from and uh so so far has been received very well the community has been support like extremely supportive back home where of course the islands are very tight-knit community so mm-hmm. um everybody already tries to look out for each other the issue is that um because the majority of places um like the downtown areas and every, everything is deemed historical so most places are exempt from ADA laws. So mm-hmm. um, it's just physically is difficult um, to make those changes necessary. But um, we, we've had such great support in the community with the clinics that we do down there. We do an annual uh, adaptive, sport, adaptive sports clinic where now uh, we start off with archery and cycling. We're looking at including um track and swimming at the next ones um with some support potentially from uh, team usa for the swimming piece and uh <clears throat> pretty much uh it's gotten to the point where of course the cycling federation has been helping me out but the archery federation is interested in starting up a para archery team now that i've shown them that seated archery and really archery in general is the same it's just how do you draw back the bow or hold the mm-hmm. bow and um, whatnot. So 
Uh, we, we've made some great lengths, I mean, conversations with the um, Olympic Committee about being brought on as a uh, member organization with them to help specifically with bridging the gap between the Paralympic Committee and the uh, um, the sports federations of the Virgin Islands. So um, it, it's been going great. And we have a number of amazing athletes so far that are extremely motivated. Uh, one of them, actually, he's uh, getting ready. We're, I just got some uh, racing wheelchairs. I'm wor- waiting to send them down, but he's about to do a, an eight-mile run through um, the the hills of St. John in his wheelchair, his personal wheelchair next month. Oh, and I'm um, getting ready to send him some some gear and stuff for that. Um yeah, if we we just we have a great motivated community down there, and um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to to see like everybody's asking me what's next. What it, the end surveys for every event that I do down there are it, hilariously amazing. Where like I'll put what sports are you interested in, select three, and they just circle the whole thing. They just want to do it all. They want to try it all. Anything and everything, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So it's been great. And I'm excited for the the things we're going to be able to do in the future. Um, And then uh, I I know we're running short on time, but uh, the the other thing that we, because of course I'm not in the Virgin Islands um, all the time, what I have been doing here in North Carolina is I just started up a program, Onzo County Adaptive Sports and uh, Recreation, where we're working with the the community here in the Camp Lejeune area Mm -hmm. to provide opportunities and resources to disabled veterans, their family members, um, the Exceptional Family Member Program on base and the Wounded Warrior Battalion. So, um, and that's been going great as well. We actually have a wheelchair football tournament coming up um, I've been bugging uh, Move United about bringing a team here, uh, but yeah. um, but but seriously though, we we've been doing a lot of different activities and also bringing other organizations, some other member organizations, to the area to provide stuff for the uh, veteran community and active duty community out here. So um, we're we're doing a lot. My friends laugh at me because they're like, "Hey, everything that I do is just like I'm driving to to school and." Like I just come up with some random idea and like three days later it's come is coming to fruition and they're like, uh it, I, I tell them it's it's easy to make things happen when you actually have a passion for it and you want yes. to do it. So so that yes. uh, I'll stop running my suck now. But uh <laughs> Yeah, no, and that's so and that's so important too, right? You have to have a passion for it. And so I think my last question for you is just obviously sports was important for you growing up and you played a lot of sports, but how, how would you talk about how does sports matter to you now? Oh, it saved my life. Um, the, so after, especially like being this, um, we joke around about, but Marines were physical specimens of men and women and, um, to be pulled from that and now have to rely on, um, your wife to help you get in and out of the car or your, your mother to, help with making you meals that you used to be able to cook yourself. Um, it, it takes a lot out of you mentally and emotionally. Everybody talks about the physical aspect of your injuries or your disability. Right. Nobody talks about the mental and emotional side right. and sports, being able to one, be a part of a team, but even on the individual side, being able to 
go out and compete and feel like myself and not be limited by my disability like that first race where i could come in third place and uh not like even though i'm still using a wheelchair full time it's not holding me back from being able to to medal and stand on the podium um it, it saved my life and has done a a lot for my mental and emotional health 